Welcome to a new edition of the Famous Interviews with Joe Domino. On this episode, we talk with author, ministry director, and founder, Dr. David Chotka. The Good Reverend is the founder and director of Spirit Equip Ministries, a trans-denominational equipping ministry focused on developing spiritual disciplines. He is also the chair of the Alliance Pray Team, APT, a ministry developed by the General Assembly of the CNMA Canada to serve as a catalyst to develop prayer equipping resources and leading events across the movement and beyond. We cover his new work, his mission, life-changing stories, flashpoints, and so much more. Enjoy. There we go. Cool. Yeah. Hey, well, it's great to meet you. And you know, like I said, I love the way the Canadians roll. I love the socialized healthcare. I interview a lot of jazz musicians and the government gives grants. So it's yep. really good when you have a government that puts their money where their mouth is and really they upholds yes. the mental stability and mental health of the people. So it's a good thing. You know, um, uh, I, I wound up, one of the stories I have about getting healed, uh, wound up on one of your American television programs. Okay. And so they came up to Detroit and then crossed the border. I'm right across from Detroit. They came up, home of all things jazz world. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> anyway, they came across and we want, they interviewed me, they interviewed my wife, they interviewed my son, et cetera, because they wanted to get the story. And then we, I took them for lunch, right? Yeah. And uh they told me that if they were, you know, not well, they wouldn't go to the hospital because it cost them too much, you know, just, just way too much. And so it was, uh, we had this, so I said, listen, conservatives and liberals are different in our two countries. They really are. Yeah. So in Canada, healthcare has been around since what, 1962 or three, something like that. Yeah. So nobody thinks about it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they just think about it. It's just not part of the, of the ethos. Huh? I so, saw I saw a special about the man that enacted that legislation. What, what's his Tommy name? Tommy Douglas. Yes. Okay. Tommy Douglas. There you go. And everybody knows him in, in Canada. And they were talking about how he is the national hero and it's a big deal. But the fact, like in America, the fact that getting something done for your body that needs to be done is something we have to choose to do because it could really be dire for our existence. That's yep. strange. Doesn't that seem strange? It does. Now, actually, Tommy Douglas was a Baptist pastor. Did you know that? I didn't know that. Yeah, and he here's what happened. This Baptist pastor just kept meeting people who were in terrible trouble because of medical expenses and bills. And so he eventually became the premier of one of our provinces. It would like be like a governor of your state down there. Anyway, yeah. he enacted legislation to make health care universal in the province of Saskatchewan because of his care for the poor. Yeah. Because he was pastor, right? Anyway, the bottom line, uh, when the day was done, is that all the jurisdictions, that was the first one in the world to have universal health care. Very first one in the world. Yeah. And so, and then, of course, it just it spread across the country. And then uh, he belonged to a party called the NDP, the New Democratic Party. And Americans would say they're a bunch of commie socialists. <laughs> I <laughs> wouldn't. <were> <laughs> Yeah, I wouldn't. I wouldn't do that. I think. It's anyway, no, mo, but the grand majority would. They, whether yeah. they're Democrat or whether they're not, or Republican, they would say that. At any rate, what happened was our Liberal Party, which would be equivalent to your Democratic Party down there, they uh, they embraced universal health care and took the platform of the NDP and embraced it, and it became public policy, and well, it has been ever since the 1960s. Well, and I know at one point we had a mass shooting at a school in New Mexico. Yep. And your government responded by putting restrictions on those automatic war army weapons. Yes. And we, we don't ever do anything here like that. And that's the thing. Anyway, that that's a whole other rabbit hole. It is. <laughs> we should talk about my book. <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm saying. We're going to get into you. We're going to get into your book. And the precursor to that is tell me 
how you survived the last three and a half years. How did you get through COVID and how did it change you? Uh, are you re being recorded now? Yeah, I come from jazz radio. So when that hi-hat hits, yeah. you go right into it. Oh, okay, very good. So listen, uh, how, did I, how did I survive? So actually, it's a very strange thing. So I was a local pastor for, for a long, long, long time, decades. My longest serve in one church was 10 years. I came down here to Windsor, which is right across from Detroit, the capital of all things blues and jazz. <laughs> no, I shouldn't say that because the guys in the deep south are going to get mad at me. Yeah, right. Fact, my audio book was recorded by someone who won, won an Emmy for doing a jazz piece. Oh, cool. So, so that was it was um, a guy by the name of Thaxton, T-H-A-X-T-O-N. And okay. they, he got an Emmy, a young kid. He got an Emmy because his dad's a jazz musician and he learned to do music and he scored uh, a, a thing for um, for the um, for a, 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 what, do you, what do you call that thing where they look at somebody's life it was an artist's life. Oh, uh, like a biography like a, that's like it, a biography. And he yeah, created yeah. this jazz score and put it in there. He won an Emmy anyway. That, so he's deep south and his dad plays jazz from the time he was little. So my book's audio recorded by a jazz artist. <laughs> look at that. I'll it's say about the world. last several years. So here's what happened. Uh, I was leading a local church uh, here in Windsor, Ontario, not too far from Detroit, just across the border. And for the first time in all my ministry, the church grew, plateaued, and then started to decline. And so it wasn't growing. And I, I, it was bothering me, really kind of awful, because every church I've served has grown, every church. And so uh, my bishop, uh, they call him district superintendent up here, but it's a bishop. He looked at me and I said, David, you need to write. You need to travel. You need to teach. So if I can find a way to get you paid, would you do it? <laughs> yeah. And I wasn't sure because I've been a pastor from the time I was in my 20s, right through into my 60s. I'm in my 60s now. And, you know, starting out in a new thing when you're in your 60s. Thank you very much. That's not exactly an easy course to follow. And so eventually I had this amazing thing happen. And actually, this involves uh, something called prayer for healing. So I was training a bunch of people to give pastoral care to pastors, and I got invited to some event in French Canada. And there was a young student in this class who um, who knew how to, he would learn to pray under my teaching, and I took him with me to give pastoral care to these pastors. Because you know this, if you tell the bishop that you're thinking about movement, he has to act. Yeah. If you're trying to figure it out, you want to talk to somebody who has no truck in the decision. <laughs> you got a nasty, obnoxious elder in your elder board. Yeah. And he's yeah. giving you a hard time. You can't tell your elders you're thinking about moving. You can't do that because the nasty guy will sit on you. Yeah. So there's no room. For, there's no wiggle room for decision making. So we went off to Quebec and my elder board and my, my bishop looked at me and said, you need to do this. We're going to find a way to get you paid. And I thought, I don't know if I can do this. I just don't know if I can do this. Anyway, I go to this event. There's 80 French-speaking pastors, and I'm being translated. I can speak enough French to make myself understood to order a hamburger. Right. <laughs> and I can, I can get directions on the street. And if I was in the culture for two months, I'd be fine, because I used to speak French, but I've forgotten most of it. At yeah. any rate, bottom line was, I had this, uh, this interpreter. And uh, this interpreter, so I'm, I'm, I teach a prayer method to these 80 pastors. And I put my team with all these different small groups of pastors. And I have this lady standing beside me. She was South Korean who'd grown up in France, studied in the United States and moved to Canada for a mission society. She lost that job uh, opportunity and she wound up working for my district. And she was only one and a half months in her role. She didn't know me. She never met me, had no idea of who I was, what I was doing. Now, I have been teaching in my denomination like this for years and years and years, decades. I've been more than 25 years doing this kind of thing across the planet. I've preached in 17 countries. I've been all over the planet. I've written several books. The one that got me launched 
was this one called Power Praying. And this book was given to all of our workers across the earth in 42 nations. So all these people know me. But this girl had not a sweet clue how to pronounce my name. (laughs) So she's translating me. And we have to give time for people to do their prayer thing. And I said, oh, listen, let, let's, listen, there's two of us. Push the microphone away. There's five or six in each of those groups. We have lots of time. I'll pray for you and you pray for me. And I had been thinking about a church on the West Coast. And I had been thinking about a new role in the current city. And I was thinking about uh, this other role, three ideas. And so I start to pray for her. And apparently, I said things about her that I couldn't possibly have known. She was in awe and shock and astonished, et cetera, et cetera. And then she said, well, Pastor David, let me pray for you using that method. And then she said this, you're no longer a local church pastor. You're looking at three things. And the big one in front of you is the one you're supposed to do. Don't let the other two distract you. Choose. She, she nailed the job description. She described wow. exactly what the bishop had said to me. Wow. And she, she didn't know me from a hole in the ground. Yeah. So now in that group, there was this young man. And uh, I, I was teaching on this, the topic, prayer for healing. And uh, so... There had been some miraculous events that had happened five years before when I'd spoken in that same district before. And the son of one of the guys who was there came specifically because he had a terrifically awful back. He had extreme sciatica. He was trying to do a church plant and he was trying to do that on part time. And he was trying to run a business and he had this bad back and he was in his 60s. So he came specifically to pray with me. <laughs> he, wanted, he wanted to be healed. Yeah. Now, I say this in the book. You can't make a miracle happen. You can only cooperate with one. Yeah. Now, I had a 17-year-old lad who'd taken my course, and he was translating me into French while we were praying for this guy. And here's what happened. And this was a defining moment. Um, as I'm starting to pray, nothing is happening. <laughs> absolutely nothing yeah and this young lad who's 17 almost 18 starts to translate my prayer for this man who had this bad back and his whole body starting to shake his hands are beginning to vibrate he feels fiery heat coursing through him. a hot tear causes in the corner of his eye and then i said julian what's happening he said pastor david i don't know what it is i can't stop i said you're supposed to pray for that guy <laughs> so so put your hand on his back and he did and then boom the man was instantly healed And he stood up and he hugged this young man, spun him around the room, testified to the 80 pastors. And so began my decision to proceed with this ministry. Now, there was one other factor on this. I'm I'm not one of these guys who says everybody gets healed. I'm one of these guys who lives between the times. Now, my wife was miraculously healed of muscular dystrophy. My daughter was not. Now, here's what happens. Um, I get this word from this lady who doesn't know me. It's a Tuesday night, and I call my wife, and I said, I think we're supposed to take this step. And she said, well, you shouldn't travel alone. You need someone to come with you, and, it, and usually it should be me, for propriety's sake. There's all kinds of weird things happening with pastors who are by themselves. You, and some of, the, some of the good guys who fall, not, not the weird ones, the good guys who fall. Yeah. And so I thought, oh, man, you're right. And so we prayed. And the next morning, she got a phone call from the province of Ontario saying that respite care for our daughter had been increased 600%. So she could travel and our daughter would be cared for while my wife traveled with me. Those were the two things that set us up. Of course, I started and COVID hit. (laughs) Now, Now, you notice the US Canada border was shut. I couldn't come your way. I had five conferences booked in within a month of my saying yes to the position. Five different venues asked me to do an event for them. 
And uh, I thought, what am I going to do now? I, I, I just have no idea what to do. Now, thankfully, the bishop had fundraised my wage. I was a year out and I was going to be okay. And there were people who were making regular contributions to this. So, you know, I'm praying about this. And here's what happened. Uh, nobody knew how to use Zoom. Nobody did. Nobody wanted to. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So grandmas and grandpas and three-year-olds learned how to use Zoom yeah. during COVID because they couldn't hug each other in person. Yeah. And so I started offering courses in Zoom. And I got people, at one moment, I had students who were studying my materials in the Czech Republic, in England, and in Nigeria, in five states in the U.S., in four provinces in Canada, and in two regions of Australia, and one from India. And we were in real time on Zoom. And suddenly I had this international constituency, and it led to opportunities to speak when, when COVID rescinded and vanished. Wow. So that, that, that's what happened. It was that's just great. Crazy kind of thing. Huh? That, that's a wonderful story. Let me ask you something. When you were a kid, when let's say you were in the third grade, what did yeah. you want to be when you grew up? An astronaut, because I like Mr. Spock. You know? Okay, there you go. <laughs> Star Trek, I got you. You know what? It was the moon launch stuff. Yeah. The stuff about, because I, I, I was born in 57, which tells you how. And so when, when Neil Armstrong landed on the moon, all of the conversation was about space and yeah. science and all this and so the hero was the air force air force pilot who became the astronaut and um and i liked astronomy actually i yeah. really did like astro i had books and books and books on astronomy when i was just a young kid and actually uh this is this is a funny kind of thing so mr spock leonard nimoy on on star trek yeah he looked like them but not quite and didn't act like them and he always felt like he was a misfit now my background was ukrainian and i was surrounded by english and french <laughs> so I looked didn't quite fit in. I so yeah. I, I, sat in, I sat in front of a mirror and I went like this with my eyebrow. So I can raise it. I can't do it now, not do it. Right. Right. <laughs> Look at that. <laughs> so actually I found out. So I'm Ukrainian. So Leonard Nimoy is a Ukrainian Jew. Did you know that? Wow, I didn't know that. Yeah. So I mean that the guy I was admiring was also somebody who came to New York as you know, his parents came to New York and he was a Jew. Uh, with a Ukrainian background, spoke Ukrainian as his first language. Wow. Didn't fit in, though he looked like everybody else. Yeah. So I admired him, and that's what I wanted to do. And in the course of time, I had a different view of the heavens than the one that I was looking at. <laughs> yeah, right. For sure. But but so how did all of this become you? How did you get into a more spiritual mold and build your faith from, from your childhood? How did all of this evolve into who you are today? Oh, well, I'll tell you about the call. So th there was a moment where I, uh, where I encountered the love of God when I was a young lad. And uh, it was through the Interschool Christian Fellowship. So what happened was I belonged to the Drama Guild. And I love drama. I love acting. I love those kind of magic. Those kinds of arts are astonishing. I play the piano. I play the accordion. People are appalled that I played the accordion. But hey, I'm ethnic. <laughs> <laughs> so I was in the Drama Guild. I was using the music. And I was using the drama. And there was a Mennonite kid who brought his Bible to school one day. <laughs> and it was because, you know, it was a black leather-bound King James gilt-edged Bible, you know, one of those things. And uh, he sat down in the lunchroom to uh, to start to read the Bible. And somebody said, did you bring that here because you're trying to understand Shakespeare? He said, no, no, no. I didn't get my prayer time in this morning, and I made a promise to God I'd spend 10 minutes a day with him. And they said, well, you believe it? He said, yeah. So they said, what do you believe? And wouldn't you know it, a bunch of them said yes to the claims of Christ. And within about 60 days, 30 of the 60 students who had come to faith in Christ in the drama guild made these big transformations. Wow. Now, my brother and I were both in the drama guild and I'm watching them. 
Now, most of the changes were pretty minor. Most of them were, oh, okay, I'm a moral kid, so I'll just live for Christ now. Isn't that nice? But there were some significant shifts. And I knew them before and I knew them after. And so I was watching the change. I didn't quite understand this. And this is a very long convoluted story, but it suffice it to say that uh, I was, I was, uh, how, what's the best way to describe this? I was skeptical and curious is the best yeah. way to describe that. You yeah. know, is this real? Did, did you know, and I, I just, the, the defining moment came this way. So um, I'm meeting all these people and they're all talking about the claims of Christ. They're all saying the Bible's the word of God. And we didn't have a Bible in the house except for a kid's Bible that my mom used to read me when I was two or three. You know, that was it. And we were the C&E Christian crowd, you know, Christmas and Easter maybe, <laughs> as yeah. long as there's a meal. <laughs> yes, yes. You know, but there was this pastor always came down the street. My parents ran a restaurant and he would always sit in the restaurant and visit people. And it didn't matter if anybody was in trouble anytime. You called that man, he came. He was that kind of a guy. My dad liked him, even though he didn't know if he believed or not. In fact, he told me he wasn't sure he believed at all. And um, But suffice it to say that uh, one day I decided that I would check this out. And so we had five apartments attached to the restaurant. And um, one of the apartments, they'd left some cloth-bound cloth old King James Bible sitting in the drawer. And we'd put it in the lost and found and nobody claimed it, but it was just a little, you know, a useless kind of $5 purchase or something. Anyway, I grabbed the thing and I'd come home from school, done my chores. I was reading it and I was astonished because I kept reading about Jesus making people well. And while I was reading about people getting well, I got a bug. <laughs> wow. A 24-hour bug. Yeah. And so I had to tell my parents I couldn't I couldn't come back and mop the floors because I was just really shaky and weak and that kind of thing. And I, I now I'd never read the Bible before. And I did what I did with Shakespeare. I looked at the table of contents. I looked at the chapter divisions and the headings. I was a student of Shakespeare. And I was an art guy. So, you know, I was, I was a drama guy. So I, yeah. I, I loved scripts and narratives and those kinds of things. So I noticed in the table of contents, that's what I called it, there was a book called Luke. And I had a buddy named Luke. And there was two books named Timothy and my older brother's name's Timothy. See, I thought it was kind of neat yeah. that the Bible had two books named after my brother. Yeah. <laughs> no, Absolutely. I never read it. So I start to read and I pick Luke. And as I'm reading these stories in the gospel of Luke, I start getting sick. And I told my parents I couldn't clean up. I had to lie down and beat this bug. And I'm shaking and I'm sweating. And I prayed. I prayed my very first ever honest prayer. That was the first prayer I prayed. I said, God, I don't understand this. I'm reading about Jesus making people well, and I'm getting sick while I'm reading this holy book. <laughs> what, what's going on? Yeah. And I close my eyes to try and you know, beat, the, beat the bug. And as I close my eyes in block letters about that big and about that high, I saw the words, Timothy 3.16. Now, the prayer that I prayed is, God, this is the mystery to me. I don't understand this. This is a total mystery. I am just dumbfounded. I don't get it. I don't understand it. And I saw Timothy 3.16. And then the letters got bigger and bigger and bigger until it filled my whole field of vision. And then suddenly it was done. And I reached over and remembered there's a book in there called Timothy. So I looked up Timothy 3.16 and it said this. Without controversy, great is the mystery. Yeah. <laughs> what? Yeah. Right. Like it was an it was an exact answer to an exact prayer that I'd never prayed before in my life. Wow. 
And it and those goosebumps going up and down my spine. And I, I had not said yes to Christ. I had not even started. To, I, I hardly knew that there was a Bible, let alone where the books were. In fact, I sure. was astonished there was a book called Timothy. So anyway, here, so that Timothy 3.16 passage, 1 Timothy 3.16, talked about the mystery of following God. And uh, a couple of days later, I was back in the school and I saw my drama guild friends who now were Christians. And I mentioned this. And they said that I should read 2 Timothy 3.16. And it was about the power of scripture to speak to you. And so uh, I, I, I suppose I should have read second as well as first, but I, you know, I was so amazed by the first one. I didn't, I didn't draw the dots. So I was led in that encounter to start to read the scripture as something that I could learn. And then I had encounter after encounter, but it's interesting. It was the healing stories that, that spoke to me. Yeah. And the, the way that I tripped into prayer for healing was totally, uh, oh, it was not something I planned. <laughs> so right. I wound that, up being called to the ministry. That's a very long story. Yeah. And uh, I go to this seminary and it's a very liberal place. There are people who don't believe that Jesus did the miracles alongside of people who do. Right. And it was a mixed constituency. And I, I, I really did believe that the scripture was final. And uh, so if one of the profs would say, oh, by the way, Jesus didn't walk on water and Moses didn't split the sea, I would push back and say, oh, yeah, Moses split the sea and Jesus walked on it and so on. But there was a guy in the room. He could have been a stand-up comic. The guy was hilarious. He could look at you sideways and make the room burst into laughter. And I admired that. It was really this one of these, one of these guys with perfect timing. Yeah. And uh, so I would defend something from the scripture. And this guy would lob the laughter grenade into the center of the room. And everybody would burst out laughing at whatever comment anybody had made. And we'd laugh so hard, it, we, it would hurt. The trouble was, I was the object of the humor. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so, so, you know, after two or three or four classes like this, you say to yourself, this boy's never going to be my friend. Yeah. Now, we had a mutual friend who was a sweet, kind girl. I call her Susie in the book. And the guy had a lovely wife who was gentle and sweet and kind. And when he, this guy was with these two girls, he was gentle and sweet. When he was on his own, he would do this crazy humor gun thing. Right. Anyway. So uh, one day I'm walking across the plaza to go to a class and the sweet girl sees me and she says, David, how are you doing? I said, fine. How about you? And she said, I'm fine. But our friend, the comedian, I said, yeah, you see that hospital down there? I said, yeah, I said, he's in, he's in there. I said, oh, and I actually, Joe, I didn't feel bad. <laughs> and then I realized I'd, I'd done something terrible. I, I, oh, is he getting good care? I said, I said, yeah. I said, what's he got? She said, phlebitis. I said, what's that? She said, there's a clot in his vein. If the clot breaks free, it'll travel through the blood system. If it lands in his lung or his brain, you're dead. I said, oh, that's really serious. I'm glad he's getting good care. And I, I did the Canadian healthcare conversation. You know? <laughs> and then she said, oh, yeah, he asked me to, to ask you something. I said, what's that? She said, he wants you to go and pray for him. I said, watch. <laughs> no, 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 no. I'm not. I'm not going. That guy just made fun of me talking about Jesus healing somebody. I'm not going. I don't believe it. He's been cruel. Yeah. And the girl looked at me and she said, he has. I said, yes, he has. I think he's setting me up for a bad joke. He's going to make fun of me back at school. He's going to do that because he's done it every time. And she said, I will talk to him. I said, okay, I'm not going though. So I went off to my class and the next day in the coffee lounge, I see the girl. I call her Susie in the book. I said, Susie, how you doing? She said, fine. Oh, I talked to our friend, the comedian. I said, oh yeah, he's terribly sorry and he wants you to come and pray. I said, I'm not going. <laughs> now, there were two reasons. 
I had only seen the crazies on television slapping people on the forehead as they keeled over and fell down, that kind of thing. And I don't think yeah. it was a healthy model, right? Now, the other, so nobody had trained me. I'd never met anybody healed by the prayer of faith. I didn't know anything about this. I knew Jesus did that in the Bible, but I didn't know if it was true for today or not. So I was, a, I was green as green could be, and I had no training, no skill, and never seen it. The second was this fear of mockery. So anyway, the third day, I'm going across the same plaza I was the day before. The girl sees me again, and she says, are you going to go and visit our friend? And I said, no, I'm not. Now, I don't know. Joe, you've been told off by your mother. <laughs> okay. So when my mother would tell me off, she would use all my first name, my last name, and stick the middle initial in the middle. And she'd stomp her feet and fire would come from her eyes. And I'd have to get busy. <laughs> so yeah. this girl knew my middle initial. She stomped her foot. Her eyes lit up with fire. And she said, David Archaka. Aren't you gonna? Aren't you going around this school saying you know the Bible is the word of God supposed to be obeyed? I said yes. She said, "What about this scripture? I was sick and you visited me." I thought, "Oh no, <laughs> I'm gonna yeah. have to go." <laughs> uh -huh. Anyway, after my class, I walked. It was about six blocks down the road. It was a university community. The university hospital was there. Walked down the road, went to his room. Tubes and monitors and medicine and nurses coming in and out and pads with information it was very serious the guy was very seriously ill and i came in and of course i'm terrified and i talked to him about the weather <laughs> then, then i talked to him about the courses and how he was doing and then i said well i visited you now i can go and he said wait aren't you aren't you gonna pray i said listen I got to figure something out here. You have always consistently and repeatedly made fun of me in front of our peers, and you've been cruel in the way you've mocked me. And I've I've defended the healing miracles of Jesus, and you have said that that was just you know baloney, and you made fun of me. Why, in the name of all that is holy, do you want me to pray for you? <laughs> then this twenty-seven-year-old man burst into tears, cried buckets and sobs, and he said, "I'm twenty-seven. I could die." I don't know. I don't, the medical community is barely able to help me. I don't know what to do. You're the only guy I know who believes the scripture is true from cover to cover. Won't you please pray that Jesus heal me? Well, what are you going to do? I mean, so I went alongside this guy and I didn't know. But again, I didn't know what to do. <laughs> Nobody yeah. had trained me. I'd seen the crazies. That's it. And so I thought, but I do remember in the Bible, those healing stories. Somebody put, Jesus put his hands on people and prayed that God would make them well. So I said, where's the phlebitis? He said, left, left uh, arm just above the elbow. I said, okay, can I put my hand there? He said, yes, put my hand there. Put my hand on his head, other hand. I started to pray. And honestly, I have no idea what I said. I am certain that it was a paltry, pathetic piece of work. <laughs> I, had no, I, I know I said something like, oh, God, make this man well, something like that. Yeah. And, but I don't remember the exact words. And suddenly, this is where the transformative moment came. And this is why I wrote this book on healing prayer. It's the first story in the book. Suddenly my whole being filled up with fire and compassion. And I had a hot tear in the corner of my eye come down my eye. And I just, I wanted the man well. Do you know what I'm saying? It was this, suddenly there was a yearning and I sensed that God wanted the man well. And I don't know how I knew, I just knew. And then that fiery heat filled the atmosphere of the room. It was like we were inhaling compassion and power. And that power flowed through my hand and went into his arm. And he looked at me and said, 
hot flashes. How did you do that? <laughs> what is that fiery presence? I said, that's the spirit of Jesus. He's healing you. And then ran out of the room because I was terrified. Right. I had never experienced anything like that before. Wow. And the next day he was in the coffee lounge of the school. Wow. And he was well. That's and amazing. So that's what happened. That's how it started. So you've done such a good, good job of really digging in to the book and, and your life. And we've kind of run away with time a little bit, but I want to make sure if anyone wants to pick up the book, they want to learn more about you, reach out to you. How can they do that? Well, the, these, if you want the book, it's easy. Anywhere books are sold. You okay. just go in there and ask for healing prayer. And it's a co-write with a doctor, Dr. Maxie Donovan myself. And Maxie's a famous author, so you won't have any trouble getting the book. It's put out by Whitaker House. You can go to Amazon. You can go to Barnes & Noble. You can go to Books A Million, anywhere it's, books are sold. But if you want to be in touch with me, you come to my website. And it's the word spirit like in Holy Spirit and the word equip like in equipment. Spiritequip.com. And there's links to my YouTube channel, my Instagram page, uh, my, uh, you know, all my, all my social media, my YouTube channel and so on. And uh, I do uh, blogs and I offer courses and I teach on Zoom and I do conferences and people invite me. There's a sign up form there to be in touch with me as well. And if anybody wants me to come to their church or to do an event for them, I do courses on uh, healing prayer. I do courses on hearing the voice of Jesus and I do courses on the Lord's prayer, the power of the Lord's prayer. And so it's not hard. It's not hard to do. You just have yeah. to go down, down the street and say, hey, actually, you probably can't spell my, my last name. So if there's nobody else named Chotka who wrote a book on healing prayer, C-H-O-T-K-A. So you Google that and that book will show up. <laughs> okay. I have no doubt. It's a very unique last name. David, you're amazing, man. Thank you so much for your story. Thank you for your time. This has been wonderful. We'll have to catch up at some other point because there's probably some other things that we can talk about so i'd love to do that and my son is a great jazz fan and he was very thankful he'd go across the river to detroit during the jazz festival once a year so oh yeah go. yeah <laughs> i've been i just remembered that i'd been up in that area and i yep. bought a bunch of cuban cigars in my 20s i had a yes. ponytail at the time and i was terrified going back in i had to pick okay, the well, right you came across the border to get them huh? that's right yeah i i got them before yeah. we kind of opened things up to cuba it was in 98 yeah, when I came back in, I'd never sweated that much in my life. And somehow I got through there. So when I got home and my friends and we had them, and that was back when I used to used to have cigars. I, I gave that up. But it was uh it was quite the vigilante thing. And I remember the 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 crystal up there. The 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 crystal's cheaper. The Windsor um Waterford Crystal. Somebody was telling me, you need to get me Waterford Crystal. It's cheaper up there. And I don't well, know. That I don't know. That uh, Pierre Elliott Trudeau and Justin, two of our prime ministers, were friends with Fidel Castro. And okay. so uh, <laughs> he thumps his nose at Americans, but he likes Canadians because Tr Trudeau was the prime minister. So it's the craziest thing. It's <laughs> wild. It's so wild how life works, for sure. David, yeah. thank you so much. I really appreciate your time. Best of luck. Have a great 2024. And to you, God's blessing yeah. to you. Thanks for tuning in to another famous interview with Joe Domino, where we cover the world of art, literature, business, spirituality, music, and more from around the globe. Our esteemed theme music was composed and produced by the great E.E. E. Pointer of Kansas City's River Cow Orchestra. If you want to hear more interviews, visit the Famous Interviews with Joe Domino channel on YouTube. You can also find us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Thanks again for listening, and until next time. <laughs>